you a little bit about our history. We, we, we planted Redemption Church two years ago, uh, right before the pandemic, so that was really good timing and uh, just interesting times that we went through. But God has been really, really good. And you know what I was just thinking about this morning as I worshiped with you all is how encouraging it is that God is continuously doing extraordinary things through such ordinary people. One of the things when we were preparing to plant uh, that God really drove home to me through uh, really just through my own sinfulness and, and my own struggles was that what he was going to do was in spite of me, not because of me. And I think that's true for all of us. You know, God gifts us in ways and he gives us his spirit. But at the end of the day, uh, it's really him who's doing the work and he's doing it most often in spite of us, not because of us. And there's a comfort to that. It's comforting to know that he uses uh, just ordinary people and, and does such extraordinary things. So it's a joy to be a part of, of building his kingdom and building his church. Uh, Joe, Pastor Joe has been uh, a huge encouragement to me and encouragement to uh, redemption. And uh, we also have some mutual friends, Scott Rising and Kevin Giddings, who are planning for the City Church in Greensburg. And so it's just been really cool to network together and, and let God build his church through like-minded churches, as he mentioned. I do want to set a timer here. So Joe said I only have like two hours to preach, so I want to make sure I don't go over that time. Yeah, yeah. We're going to be in Philippians 3 today. And those of you who are joining us online, please consider opening a Bible or, or opening an app, however you access the Bible today, to Philippians 3. Uh, we'll be there uh, throughout this, the sermon, so it's a good place to turn and, and keep your finger in there. Uh, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, I want to begin reading, and we'll read all the way through chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, Not that I have already reached the goal, or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject everything to Himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed-for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown in this manner Stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Let's pray as we consider the words penned by the Apostle Paul. Father, we thank you for your word, for it's true, it's living, it's active. It has the power to revive our souls, to bring eternal life. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears and our eyes this morning, that we might, be, that we might consume and be consumed by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
My message this morning is titled, All Who Are Mature. I want to look at some of the marks of maturity that Paul lays out for us here in Philippians 3 in the, in the first verse of chapter 4. If you want to take notes, I'll give you some, some, uh, some main points that you can write down. The first one is this. The mature in Christ know that they are not there yet. The mature in Christ know that they are not there yet. Paul says in verse 12, Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect. Paul says that. The Apostle Paul, the one responsible for, for, for writing several of the books, uh, uh, the majority of the books of the New Testament. He says, I haven't already reached the goal, or I'm not already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Jesus Christ. You see, the thing about maturity is as we mature in Christ, we actually become more aware of our sinfulness. I remember, I remember being a young Christian and, and, and thinking, you know, few good years I'd have this thing down. <laughs> if I can just get rid of a couple of bad habits, if I can just make a couple of tweaks and a couple of changes, then, then I, I, think, I think things are going to be going pretty good. How disappointing it's been <laughs> over the past 25 years as I've followed Christ to find out that I perceive myself as more sinful today than I ever had before because I've gotten to know Christ and His holiness more and more over the years. Maturity will do that to you. Maturity makes you more aware of your need for Christ. Maturity makes you more aware of just how far you have missed the mark. Maturity makes you more aware of how high God's holy standard is. The mature in Christ know they're not there yet. That was the case with the Apostle Paul. He knew he wasn't there. He knew there was still much work to be done. He knew that with, within himself still lived the sinful desires and the sinful nature and, and, and that it was only by the grace and mercy of God that the Spirit could dwell within him. I was reading a, a, a book lately. I won't even, I won't even name it. I don't, good or bad, I don't think it's just even worth naming. But the, the content is what I want to share. There was the, the author of the book shared a story about how his grandma professed to have reached full sanctification. And, which is something some Christians do. <laughs> I think, I think that's Pastor Joe's stance about his own personal life as well. But, but she professed to reach full sanctification, and so one day he, he heard her um, gossiping. And he said, Grandma, you know, what about this gossip? You say that you're without sin, that you've reached full sanctification. And she went on to, to justify the gossiping, saying that, that gossiping is a mistake, not a sin. That's kind of convenient. If we could just relabel all of our sins as something other than sin, then yeah, perhaps we could reach full sanctification in this life. But true maturity tells us we're not there. Those aren't just mistakes, they're sins. We need the mercy of God today. Perhaps more 
than when we first believed. Because now we, we, we have years of, of walking with Christ. We, we have less excuse. We've been exposed to His goodness. We've received His grace and His mercy, and yet we're still not there. That's one sign of maturity, is knowing that you're not there. But the next one is this, the mature in Christ, they make every effort to grow. It's true that the mature in Christ know they're not there yet, but it's equally true that the mature in Christ will make every effort to grow. It's not maturity to say, well, I just, I just rely on the grace of God and therefore I put no effort into my sanctification, no effort into spiritual growth. That's not maturity. If we go back to verse 12 where, he said, where Paul said, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, he also said, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I've also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. That's maturity. Maturity knows I'm not there, but that's not an excuse to just coast. I've got to put in the effort. I make it my goal. I make it my aim. I'm intentional. I pursue after becoming more like Christ and receiving what He has for me in this life. That's a sign of maturity. Paul even goes as far as to say, I forget what is behind and I reach forward to what is ahead. And you think about Paul's past. There's, there's good and bad in his past, right? The bad was, was that he was actively persecuting Christians, that, that we know he was even responsible for the death of, of Stephen in the book of Acts, and that it was his goal to persecute and to make life difficult and to even stop the Christian message from, from going out. That's not something you want to stand before God and give an account for. You do not want to be in the way of Jesus growing His church. But that's in Paul's past. He forgets about it. He puts it behind him. He lets the past be the past. And he's focused on what is ahead. But he also had good in his past. Paul had planted churches. Paul, Paul becomes the, the most prolific missionary in the first century. Everywhere he goes, he's planting churches. He's writing, he's writing the books of the New Testament, I assume unbeknownst to him, but he's writing the books of the New Testament. And, and instead of resting on that, instead of resting on what God had already done, he makes it his aim to keep going, to keep pushing forward. You and I, if we're going to continue to grow in maturity, we can't get hung up on, on, on the sins we've committed in the past. We can't get caught up in, in the snare of who we were and what we did. We have to be willing to receive forgiveness and move on. Likewise, we cannot rest on the, on the good that God has already done through us. It's not enough to say, well, hey, I, I did my time. I put, in, I put in the effort and God did this, this, and this through my life. Therefore, I, I get to coast. I get to rest. Paul puts that behind him. That's the past. That's old news. It's time to press on to what is next. 
all who are mature, the mature in Christ, they make it their effort to grow. They make it their effort to, to serve Him and to be faithful in this season. Next, if you're taking notes, the mature in Christ are patient with others. I like where Paul takes this. After speaking uh, uh, about, you know, I don't consider that I've reached the, this goal and I make it my effort to press on and to pursue what is ahead, then he, he turns to this in verse 15. He says, Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way, and if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. When we, when we attain new truth, we want so badly to, to force it upon the people around us sometimes. But Paul here is, is, is not necessarily trying to get everybody to catch up to where he's at. He rests in the fact that God is doing that work. If, if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. That's patience. That's a willingness to let the Holy Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit can do. That doesn't mean He doesn't teach. That doesn't mean He doesn't instruct. That doesn't mean He doesn't compel with the truth of God. Obviously, we see all of that in Paul's ministry, but he does it with patience. We know this from, from some of the other things he says in his other letters in 2 Timothy 2. He instructs Timothy, he says, flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know that they breed quarrels and the lord's servant must not be must not quarrel but must be gentle to everyone able to teach instructing his opponents with gentleness perhaps god will grant them repentance leading them to the knowledge of the truth then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Do you see the patience in Paul's words? Do you see, do you see that, that he's, he's not given Timothy a pass from teaching? He's not given Timothy a pass from exposing the lies, but he's telling him to do it with gentleness, to do it with patience. We started a small group over the summer at our church and invited new people to come. We've, we've had, um, since Easter, we've had quite, quite a, a few new people show up. And so we did a small group just for them. And I wanted to get some time uh, with some of the new folks that were coming to the church. And we had, a, we had a guy come in who just revealed himself as one of the most cantankerous people I've ever met. He just wanted to fight about everything. His name was Joe Ryer. I'm sad. No, I'm just, <laughs> just kidding. He, 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 he just, everything was a, a battle for this guy. And then there was this guy in our, in our small group who was just really just a young Christian. He was just trying to figure this out. And along the way, he had been taught some things that, that definitely weren't true, that needed correcting, and he, he needed some instruction. But uh, it was all innocent. It was all just, it wasn't like he, you know, sometimes I think we don't make a distinction between a immature and growing believer and, and some of the false things that they might say, and then somebody who's just flat out a false teacher who's looking to deceive. And we can treat them the same way, and they, they need different treatment the false teachers need rebuked they need corrected they needed they needed pushed out when, when, when necessary but the the young immature believers who just 
say some weird things because they're learning and growing. They need gentleness and they need care. And, and this guy, he just started coming after this guy every time he would open his mouth. And it was the first time in 20 years of ministry that I've actually had to kick somebody out of a small group. <laughs> I, had, I mean, I did it with gentleness. I helped, I helped him come to the conclusion that he didn't want to be a part of our small group anymore. But he thought he was acting in maturity because he knew better than this younger Christian. But that's not maturity. Maturity says, I have patience. Maturity teaches with gentleness. Maturity comes into a situation like that and puts an arm around the younger believer, not a fist in their face. The mature in Christ are patient with others. Paul also says in Ephesians 4, he says, Therefore I, a prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. Not covering sin. Not neglecting to to teach the truth but doing it with gentleness that's what the mature do they're patient with one another they're patient with with those who are learning and growing and perhaps doing some and saying some wrong things next the mature in christ live lives worth imitating the mature in Christ live lives worth imitating. Paul goes on, we're back in, in Philippians 3. He goes on in verse 17, it says, he says, Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. I know for a fact that those of you here at Saving Grace have some brothers and sisters worth imitating. You have been blessed with leaders who have, who have committed themselves to living for Christ, who have committed themselves to their own personal sanctification. Not perfect men and women, but yet nonetheless worth imitating. Imitating them in their example of faithfulness over the years. Imitating them in their example of how they treat their family and how they treat those in the community. Worth imitating in, in how they pursue Christ in their own personal walk with Him. Paul says, join in imitating me. What a, thing, what a bold thing to say. It's easy for me to say, hey, there are people worth imitating. It's a whole other thing for me to say, imitate me. <laughs> Watch me and live. There's an accountability to that that I think I'm a little bit uncomfortable with. Paul's willing to say it though. Because he's been living his life for Christ. Make it your aim to live a life worth imitating. I look out, I see a lot of parents here. A lot of you have either raised children or you're raising children. Let me remind you, 99% of the children that God has created, there are some exceptions, but 99% of them, they will not do as you say. They will do as you do. That's just a reality. I mean, when they're little... You can force your will on them to some degree. 
We, uh, we have a 15-year-old. We raised a strong-willed daughter. We are raising a strong-willed daughter. We've pretty much given up at this point. She's, she's raising us. She's training us. Um, but, you know, it, pretty quickly you get past that stage of being willing to just impose your will on them. And you, you learn you need to set an example. If you want them to live godly lives, you've got to be living a godly life. If you want them to be in the Word, you've got to be in the Word. If you want them to be people of prayer, you have to be a person of prayer. Live a life worth imitating. Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 to 16, he says, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. For you may have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. I'm so grateful for the men that I consider spiritual fathers. One of, one of the first Christian mentors that God gave me while I was in Bible college, he was one of my professors, and he had such a passion for mentoring, uh, the, he and his wife mentoring the men and women uh, in, in our class. And they would often invite us over to their home as a group, and they would serve us a meal, and, and they would just let us see how they lived as a family. He taught me not just how to, how to be a minister of the gospel, but how to be a man of God at home. What it means to be a godly husband. What it means to be a godly dad. And I'm so grateful for that example. And God's given me many other uh, similar men and even some women in my life who, who have been an example to me. Thank God for those people. You have them too. And if you don't have them, I encourage you to pray and to, to ask God to open your eyes to, to who might be around you that could be that, that type of an influence and that type of an example for you. But not only do we need those above us as examples for us, but we should commit ourselves to becoming that. Are you, are you willing to say to, young, to the next generation, are you willing to say to maybe some younger believers, Hey, you want to know what it, what it looks like to follow Christ? Imitate me. That's a sign of maturity. Living a life worth imitating. Next, we see that the mature in Christ avoid the influence of false teachers. The mature in Christ avoid the influence of false teachers. This is a big one. Paul just sort of sneaks it in there, but it's it, to, today with, you know, then a false teacher had to come to your door. They had, to, they had to come to your church. They had to infiltrate your gatherings. Today, false, te false teachers are infiltrating our lives through technology in a million different ways. Oftentimes, we're not even aware of it. He says in verse 18, For I have often told you and now say again with tears. I don't know how often Paul says that. I, don't, I can't say this is the only time he says that. But imagine the intentionality of wanting them to know that while he writes these words, he's in tears. It's that important to him. What he's about to say means that much to him that it's literally moved him to tears. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. 
that's quite a contrast to who we are in Christ. Their end is destruction. Our end is salvation. Their God is their stomach. It's their, it's their physical wants and desires. Our God is the Spirit that is living within us. Their glory is in their shame. Our glory is in Jesus' finished work. They are focused on earthly things. We are to be focused on eternal things. Beware of false teachers. They're everywhere. And you and I need to be diligent to, to be sure that what we are consuming in terms of teaching and what we're consuming, that, that it, it is motivated by the desire to build Christ's church, not to build some man or woman's personal kingdom. I've recently started paying attention to what I eat and what I put in my body. Until I was 35, I weighed 170 pounds. I've gained 60 pounds in the last five years since I turned 35. Something happened. I literally went to my doctor about six months after I turned 35, and I'm like, what is going on? My clothes don't fit. I'm just getting bigger. I'm hot all the time. What's happening to me? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that sort of happens. <laughs> but I ignored it. I was like, man, I, I really like Little Debbie's. <laughs> little Debbie's are where it's at. You guys putting these donuts out there today. Man, but, but you know, lately, and I mean, there's just so many things happening in the world right now with COVID and everything. I think a lot of us are thinking more about our health and are we taking care of ourselves and um, getting ready to go on a trip to Africa uh, for about a week and a half, two weeks here at the end of October. And I'm like, man, I don't ever move. Like, I don't walk. I'm going to go to Africa and it's going to be hot and I'm taking I'm taking the cookie jar with me and I, I my feet are going to be hurting so I've been walking and I've been trying to eat better and I'm trying to lose a few pounds before I go and I've just been paying attention because because what I take in has at this point in my life has an effect for 35 glorious years it had no effect it didn't matter I could eat anything I wanted half a bag of potato chips right before I go to bed no big deal now I'm eating vegetables and I'm gaining weight. Like, what is going on? How much more is it true that what we, what we take in spiritually affects our spiritual health? We, we need to be discerning. We need to be discerning in our spiritual diet. You can't live forever on a, on a spiritual junk food diet and expect to stay healthy. You're going to crash. It's going to catch up to you. And, it, and, it's gonna, and, it's, and the consequences of that are, are so much worse than having to buy some new pants or some new clothes. The consequences of that could be spiritual death. You, you have to pay attention to your spiritual diet. That's what the mature in Christ do. They avoid false teaching. They, they eat and consume the pure Word of God. And they follow only those who are giving them the pure Word of God. Alright, so well, let me just give you some quick applications. I mean, you know, in, in our world today where it's just so easy to hear preachers and it's so easy to, to access Christian content, um, just be discerning. Don't, 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 just, don't just take in whatever's in front of you. Be discerning. 
pursue pursue those who are faithful who are rightly handling the word you have examples of that here at saving grace look at what they do how do they handle the word and then seek out teachers <coughs> excuse me seek out teachers who do the same all right we got two more i'll go fast the mature in christ look ahead to the glory that is to come I love this. This is where Paul goes in verse 20. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. Remember, he just spoke about those who live their lives as enemies to the cross of Christ. And he says, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject everything to Himself. Why does Paul, why live but why go to all the difficulty and all of the frustration of seeking to live a godly life of maturity in Christ? Because he has an eternal perspective. Even Paul himself says that if, if we're living our lives for Christ and that, that only benefits us in this life, that there, if, he says if there is no resurrection from the dead, if there's no future glory, if there's no heaven, if there's, if there's no eternal life with Christ, if there's no reigning with Him for eternity, then what we're doing now, we should be pitied. But he's utterly convinced of all of that. He's utterly convinced that Jesus is coming and when He comes, He is going to transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of His glorious body. We, we can't even begin to comprehend how good that news is. Therefore, Paul says, look ahead to the glory that is to come. He points us not to... He points us away from the past. We forget what is past. And we press on. But we don't even do that for the sake of, of today and of, of what we hope to experience tomorrow. But He points us ahead to the eternal glory that when Christ comes, He will, he will transform us into something glorious. He will transform us into His own likeness. And then, every single one of us will say, man, that was worth it. It was worth every moment. It was worth every drop of suffering. It was, it was worth everything that we lost in hopes that we might gain Christ. The mature in Christ look ahead to the glory that is to come. And then finally, the mature in Christ stand firm. They stand firm. Considering all of these things, Paul's conclusion in this passage, he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown, in this manner. In what manner? In the manner of all of the things that he just mentioned. In the manner of all of these things that we're saying are, are signs of those who are maturing in Christ. In this manner, stand firm. Keep doing these things. Don't grow weary in pursuing these things. Don't give up just because it gets difficult. Stand firm. Don't let anything move you off the path of pursuing obedience to Christ. Stand firm in Him. Stand firm in Him. 
The path toward maturity in Christ is full of trials and adversity. And there's no way forward except by standing firm. You can't give up. You can't relent. You can't compromise. Stand firm. It's the only way to get there. You haven't crossed the finish line yet. Persevere in Christ. Now, more than ever, our world needs Christians to stand firm. They're they're begging us to compromise. They're begging us to, to... to, to, to give in and, and, and to become flexible. And when we do that, they internally say to themselves, see, I knew they didn't really believe it. So Paul says, stand firm. Stand firm because Jesus will return. We will stand before Him. And when we do so, by God's grace, may we do so as mature believers in Christ. Not as immature. Not as those who had decades to grow in Him and did nothing with it. Not as those who prioritized everything else in life except for pursuing obedience to Christ. May we, like Paul, say, I've set an example worthy of imitation. I stood firm. I didn't give in and I didn't give up. So how about you? Have you made growing mature in Christ a goal? Is that a goal that you have? You have goals in life, I, I assume. Whether that may, Maybe they're not even verbalized. That's okay. But you have goals. You have things you want. You might have the goal of going on a specific vacation. You might have a goal of having a specific vehicle or a house or, a, or, or anything. You have goals. You have ambitions. Is one of your goals, one of your ambitions, growing mature in Christ? If so, do you have a plan? It won't happen unintentionally. It will only happen as we commit ourselves to pursuing the means through which God has made clear He matures us. Commitment to the body of Christ. Commitment to His Word. Living a life of prayer. Sharing the Gospel with those around. These are the means through which God matures us. And then there's the other, there's, there's the other things that, that sort of He's in control of. The circumstances and the trials that you go through in life that you don't necessarily have control over. But you only mature in those things if you have been doing the others. If you've committed yourself to pursuing Him. And finally, I'll ask the worship team to come up and get ready uh, to lead us in some worship. Which of these areas is the Holy Spirit putting His finger on today? Let me read them again. The mature in Christ know they are not there yet. The mature in Christ make every effort to grow. The mature in Christ are patient with others. The mature in Christ live lives worth imitating. The mature in Christ avoid the influence of false teachers. The mature in Christ look to the glory that is to come. And finally, the mature in Christ stand firm. Would you pray with me?